and welcome to the Aussie Pastor Live, right here on Faith FM. G'day, my name is Lloyd Grolleman, I'm the Aussie Pastor, welcome to our program today, whether you be in Perth, Adelaide, Melbourne, up here in Sydney, Brisbane, my hometown, or up in the beautiful Northern Territory, we're glad, Darwin that is, we're glad to have you here today, Hunty. G'day mate. How'd you like that? Very good. I missed out one of the capital cities. Oh, you know, I was having my little panic here. Our timer didn't start. Oh, okay. So I just kicked it in the guts. Oh, okay. So it, um, I missed out uh, Tasmania. Oh, dear. The capital of Tasmania oh, dear. is, do you know? Uh, I'm Lord, guessing Hobart. Launceston, Hobart, yeah. yeah. <laughs> we love you, Tazzies. Tassie boys and girls, we're glad you're here today, and we know God's sure going to be with us today for what's going to be a very exciting program. Hunter, you know where I've been today? I do, actually. Mm. You've been in a little tiny seat, a very uncomfortable, <laughs> hot little tiny seat, actually, about 10 k's up in the sky. Yeah, it wasn't too bad. I flew back from Brisbane. I was involved in a funeral up there. Actually, a man by the name of Cliff Thua. Uh, you know him, Hunty. Yes, you've, a you've, very, very prominent Christian man. Yeah, a very, very good man. And, and for all the friends and family of Cliff Thua up there in Brisbane, uh, our sympathies. We, we we loved him. He was really the the father of our youth group there in Springwood in Queensland, where I came from. So my mum and dad were missionaries, which means they were overseas, spreading the love of Jesus in Fiji and New Guinea, Korea and Europe and all over the place, Auntie. Cliff and his wife Judy were the youth leaders of our church at Springwood. I think we kept them broke because, you know, every Saturday we'd <laughs> charge on back to their place. There'd be 20 or 30 of us. We'd eat lunch. We started a church with them. So this guy's very special to us. Lived a good life. He was uh, um, he was actually a real expert in Indigenous uh, Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander health. In, in fact, a world expert in it. Really? He was. Yes, he was. Had a master's in it. Was offered to do a PhD. I think he got his master's at Stanford or somewhere like Anyway, I was up there um, saying goodbye to him after mm. he died at 89 years of age, which is a pretty good innings. Then I'm in the plane this morning, Hunty, coming back home. The air conditioning in the plane's not working <laughs> real good. You know, it's like when it's hot and I you're in the plane. Pl- yeah. I hate that so much. I, I dislike it too. Um, you remember what you did to me once? Have we ever shared that on radio? I don't think we've shared that. It's not a bad story because it was a very. You, you see a little. You see, you're going to see a little pit, bit of Hunty's nasty side of his character, which very often our radio listeners don't get. What did you do? So we're on this plane, and the little tiny skinny um, flight crew decided that it was too cold, so they cranked the heat up. They come from a particularly hot country. And so cranking the heat up to 27, 28 degrees is what they like to do. Anyway, Lloyd and I are sitting wedged in. We're flying from Qatar. No, we're flying from Jordan to Qatar. Yeah. It's, it's already very, hot outside, it's bro. It's hot. It's humid. And it's hot in the plane. And we're just sitting there. Just what do you do when it's hot in the plane, Andrew Hunt? You're gasping for air like a fish out of water. It's panic, isn't Panicky. it? Panicky. Like for us claustrophobics, it's, it's, we're in a little tiny sardine can and we're not got any air and, and it's you're going to talk to the flights, flight attendants and, and I was, to- I was about to, I was about to blow my stack <laughs> at the flight attendants. I said, come on, can we have some man? I looked, I turned, I saw Lloyd. And Lloyd, Lloyd I. And the little vein was throbbing on his forehead and <laughs> his face was getting red. 
hyperventilating. So I thought, there's another way I can do this. So I turned to Lloyd and I said, hey, mate, it's pretty hot in here, isn't it? And that little throbbing vein in his forehead throbbed harder and it throbbed bigger. So I had it. And it was a gentle and a very polite word with the flight attendants. Yes. They didn't want to change it. So Thank in the end, we went to the head flight attendant. We got the temperature, which is just as well because everybody in that plane was in a state of discomfort. I think oh, that'd be fair absolutely. to say, wouldn't it? Absolutely. But when you're in a plane, you want, we don't want to spend too much no. time on this. <laughs> but when you're in a t- plane, you want the air conditioning working. That's it. Had a safe trip back. Got home, caught the train, had to walk 100k from the train station. <laughs> in the heat. And then fell asleep and almost never made it to the radio program, Hunt. Yeah, I got a, I got a call from Lloyd about half an hour ago and he says, he says, mate, I just woke up. <laughs> and I know he's about a half an hour's drive from the studio, so I'm thinking, uh-oh. <laughs> uh, I, only, I only had three hours sleep last night. What's on today, Hunty? Oh, we've got a great program today. We're going back to Alice Springs to talk with our mate, David Gilmore. Looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. And we've got another great interview coming up with Simon Gigliotti, or as my phone said today, Simon Gigliotti. He is our youth pastor for all the Adventist churches in Sydney. I'm going to ask him some interesting questions, we actually. Yep. You might be interested, and if you've got kids, it might help you. Hey, Hunty, yep. um, what's on to, well, that's what's on, but what, what else can you share with us about today, anyway? Well, we're going to have ask the Aussie pastor again. Let me give that a little plug. If you would like to send in any question whatsoever for our Aussie Pastor Lloyd, then you can. One of two ways. You can text them to us on 0488 880 or email info at We'd love to hear from you. That text number is the best one, 0488 880 And you've forgotten that text number altogether. You read that. I was watching you. Info at AussiePastor.com? No, of course you can remember that one. Of course. 0488 about as much rhythm as a cicada. <laughs> <laughs> what happened on this day? Well, it was an interesting day in history. In 2015, see how good you are. I'm, if, I've never been a betting man. Okay. Never will be. Okay. You know, when you bet, you throw money away. Good money after bad. <laughs> um, but if I was a betting man, I'd bet you're going to get this one. American actor Leonard Nimoy. Leonard Nimoy, yep. Where's he from? Uh, some Star Trek type thing. That's it who is best known for his portrayal of the Stokes cerebral Mr. Spock in the sci-fi TV and film franchise. Star Trek died at the age of 83. And I'm pretty sure, Hunty, yeah. that his ashes were taken off up into space. Oh, wow. Mm. That's a cool send-off. Yeah. 1991, US President George W. Bush, H.W. Bush, ordered a ceasefire at midnight and declared victory in the Persian Gulf War. Remember him doing that on the aircraft carrier? I do. I was only a young fella back then, Mm -hmm. but I remember him on the aircraft carrier um, making this bold proclamation the United States of America won the war in Iraq. Well, it didn't kind of turn out like that. Things went real bad there. (coughs) Sorry. Coughing a little bit here, Humpty. Truth is, thousands and thousands of Americans and Iraqis, more Iraqis, died in that war after he proclaimed victory. 1951. What about this one? The 22nd Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. 22nd Amendment? 22nd. No idea. That was the amendment that said a president could only serve two terms. Do you know why they did that? No. I don't. Oh, I think probably. I'm guessing. No expert in American history, but I'm probably guessing simply because they wanted to make sure that no one dominated. Yep, fair enough. I think it's not a bad idea. Fair enough. Personally. Uh, would you be happy for our Prime Ministers to be only able to serve two terms? 
Yeah, why not? That's a good rule. The American electoral cycle is for the president is every four years. So that gives a president eight years. Yep, that's do you know, enough. Do you know what ours is? Uh no. Every every three. Right. So that would give our Prime Minister six years. You think six years is long enough for a I, th- pro- I think that old saying that power and absolute power corrupts, I think that's true. And I think the longer you sit in the top job, I think the more power and influence you have. And I, and I think probably the opportunity for corruption and misdemeanour is probably high. Okay. So, yep, let's clean the house every... Every couple of years. <laughs> a couple of years. <laughs> Every two terms. Every two mean. terms, yeah. You'd give the Prime Minister two years and that'd be it. Uh, 2013, on this day, uh, Pope Benedict uh, XVI became the first Pope to resign since Gregory the Twelfth in 1415. And he died not long ago. But he resigned. He retired. Popes don't normally retire. They, they, they die in office. 1983, on this day, the final episode of the immensely popular TV series MASH. Oh, that was a good show. Was aired. How many people yep. you reckon watched it? It was a record at the time. Wow, no, I don't know. 106 million viewers. Yeah, that's a big number. Look, it was a good show, but at times morally bankrupt. Yes. And I think played its part, believe it or not. I don't want to be too critical, because as a kid I grew up watching MASH. But I think it did help to shape the morality of our minds and was a part of the process that led us to where we are today. Am I being too hard on it, on MASH? Uh, Possibly. I think it was. You think about it. Yep. There was stuff going on there that you wouldn't want your kids involved in. True. Um, Very true. Hmm. Um, 1922, two more. Egypt was declared an independent country. I guess this is Egypt Independence Day. Happy Independence Day, Egyptian Egypt and all our Egyptian friends. Hmm. Never been to Egypt. We want to go there, don't we, we Hunty? Do. We do. Get to the uh, mighty Nile River, yes. as you said, the, the pyramids and all those un- other wonderful... Sphinxes and... Yeah. Yep. And the last one, in 1940, for her performance in Gone with the Wind, Hattie McDaniel. Now, I've got to admit, I've never watched Gone with the Wind. <laughs> no, me either. I don't know who Hattie McDaniel was, but when I was looking at this, you know, what, what happened on this day, the 28th of February, this one comes up. And I thought, oh, it's interesting. She became the first African-American to win an Academy Award. Oh, good honour. So I think that's worthwhile um, celebrating. It is. Well, welcome to our program. Welcome to our show. I'm going to pray uh, as we get into it. Looking forward to spending the next uh, hour and a half, about that, isn't it? A bit more. A bit more yep. with you. And praying that God will bless you. Let's pray. Lord, be with us now. Bless us. Bring glory to your name and light to our great nation as we participate together in this program in your name. Amen. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Uh, now, Hunty, I've got a song. He hideth my soul. It's the basic quiet. Oh. Not sure where they're from. I think they're either from the Philippines or maybe um, Cambodia or somewhere. But they are singing this song, and it is beautiful. And I hope you enjoy it.
Beautiful, beautiful song. I really enjoy indeed, that. Indeed. It brings peace and comfort to you in troubled times when you know that Jesus is with you and his hands over you and that he's always walking with you. Now, now I'm not going to talk about uh, peaceful times here, Hunty. This is, uh, the news stories are a bit alarming today. Very alarming. This, this first one in South Africa in collapse. Um, what they're doing is it is a government-owned power company. Yep. And so they're being, and I think the way to put it is, they're being just absolutely sabotaged by their own workers. And what they're doing is they're sticking uh, spanners into cogs and... Well, do you know why the sabotage? The, the um, workers that are sabotaging the equipment that generates electricity... Mm-hmm have friends who've got maintenance contracts. Yep. And every time the maintenance guys are called in to fix something, it's more money for for the contractors. So so that's a problem. The bigger problem is, because it's a government electricity generating system, they are paying for contracts that exist. Up to $1 to $2 million a day are being paid to contractors to repair wires and towels all over the country who aren't doing any work. It's just a way of scamming money out of the system. So they're going broke 
because their pain contracts that don't exist. And then the contractors they do have that are doing work are getting their mates to do damage, so they're constantly being called in. And it's uh, impacting business because they can't get electricity because what they're doing is they're doing what's called load sharing. So every 12 yep. hours, yep. Uh, you, you, your power is knocked off and it can be knocked off for another 12 hours. So right. you're on for 12, off for 12. The other thing is South Africa is not always the safest country in the world to live in. Well, that's right. And a lot of, a lot of the people who would do, would do evil know when the power's going to go off and then those security cameras off and alarm systems are, are off. And they're robbing, and they're, raping, yep, pillaging, causing trouble. Absolutely horrible. Apparently farmers are dying in the thousands, not in the thousands, but in the tens of dozens. And it's, it's a very, very worrying um, thing that's happening over there. It could mean the end of the, of the, of the country. They're, they're, they're worried that it's going to just go into chaos. Well, once, it, once the generating systems have ground to a halt... It actually takes electricity to restart a grid. And, and it can once, take once, a while to yep, crank it up. It could take a couple of weeks after, the, after it's died to crank it up. So It's a very, very sad story, and let's hope and pray that South Africa is able to pull out of this. It just amazes me how a little bit of honesty, Hunty, can cause everything to uh, work well, but if you take it away, if you take the integrity out of a country, well, it's destruction. Destruction. Yep. What about this one? Superbugs to kill 10 million a year by 2050. Well, I've I've personally been stressing about this now for 20 or 30 years. My my time in a hospital taught me that we are overusing antibiotics and we're overusing all kinds of disinfectants, and there are bugs now that are completely resistant to the major solutions we used to kill them in hospital theatres and because people are taking so many antibiotics it's in our it's in our wastewater that's going out to the ocean we are literally ruining our future with antibiotics we overuse antibiotics totally and because we overuse antibiotics the, the the bugs and the germs actually build up a resistance and yep. this has been happening. This is not a new thing. This has been happening for quite some time. It's why we have some pretty bad bugs in hospitals now, you know, where people go in for a, a simple operation. They'll end up lo- losing uh, arms and legs and all sorts of um, extremities. And it's not a good thing that we're losing the battle and how to fight these bugs. And they're saying that if we are not to be in trouble... Not just by 2050, but if we'd escape the trouble we're in now, we need to spend a lot of money and a lot of science and spend a lot of time trying to work out how to beat these bugs and how to stop them developing. Because the word is, I think, they evolve, don't they, Hunty? They do. They evolve a resistance totally to do. what we send against them to fight them. That's right. Yeah. So that, I thought, I don't know, Hunty, I thought that was a pretty... That's just scary because they're talking about, you know, in the next 25 years, people will be choosing against elective surgery because to go to hospital is almost the death sentence. Um, basic things like if you, if you get a UTI, which a lot of women get in their lifetime, if you get a UTI, that's a urinary tract infection, there will be no antibiotics to take to kill the germ and the germ will get you. Well, in this article, they gave a recent example where... Um there was a lady and she got a scratch from a thorn bush when she was out in the garden with roses and almost lost a hand because this bug got a bug got in. Wow. They pumped a full of antibiotics and uh, they couldn't defeat it. You know where it gets really scary? A guy like me, when I go to the dentist, because I've got a knee um, replacement, yep. I've got a foreign object in my body, in my knee. Uh, I think it's made of steel or something. What is it made of? 
Probably uh, yours is titanium, I think. Yeah, some some special metal. Yeah, but you can easily get bugs. Yes, in, in your knee. That's right. I didn't know this when they gave me the operation. They never told me this. Yeah. But what what happens is. Um, when I go to the dentist, they'll fill me full of antibiotics to stop me getting a bug in my knee, even though I'm having an operation on my teeth. Well, you know what happened is um, they're saying that the antibiotics are no longer having an impact there, and people are dying when they go into hospital even now of simple operations simply because when they get an infection... They can't fight it. And when I was in hospital getting my knee replacement, and I was in a really good hospital, one of the best hospitals in Australia, the SAN. can brag about that, can't I, Hunty? It's the Adventist Hospital. Yep, wins awards um, all the time. Yeah, and when I was in there getting my knee operation, um, the biggest fear they had was that I would get an infection. And then they were scared that I would get one of these super bucks. Yep. And where it got difficult for me is I had a, when I had the operation and they stitched me up, there was still a little hole left in my knee and it never healed for over a month. So I ran around for over a month trying to protect this little hole from a, an infection so nothing really bad with a super infection occurred. So world's got a fairly, we've got a fairly challenging future when it comes to that hunting. And then this last one. Mark Wahlberg, do you know who he is? I do, I do, he's an actor. Yeah, he's an actor in the United States of America, slammed for presenting an award to an Asian cast. Do you know what happened there? I do, and I'm not sure that I agree at all. That he should be slammed or that he shouldn't be? Well, look, back in his, his dark, distant past, when he was, I think, 16 or 18 years old, he got on some drugs and alcohol and went on a bit of a wild night, Ended up in a fight with a Vietnamese guy and another... And two another, of them. Two of them. They ended up in a fight and Wahlberg... He, he started the fight, actually. Yeah, but he was, he was high He was high and he was drunk. And totally at fault. And totally at fault. And he acknowledged that and he went to jail and paid his debt to society for that yep. misdemeanour. Yeah. Oh, not misdemeanour. For what do they call grievous bodily harm or yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he, he paid the price back probably a long time ago. Yep. And, and now the Hollywood elite are saying he's racist against Vietnamese people and he shouldn't be presenting an award. Yeah. Well, hang on. He was drunk and he was high and he had a fight with whoever was in front of him. He didn't go searching the suburb. I need to find a Vietnamese person to bash. Well, so I think that it's, I think it's pretty long bow to draw back and say, oh, because you had a fight with a Vietnamese person 20, 30, 40 years ago. It was more than a fight, actually. It's such, so serious that he actually ended up getting charged by the police. Yes. Ended up with a criminal record. Correct. So this was not just, he injured these guys really badly. But there was racism in the attack. Um, he, he was yelling stuff out and saying stuff. Um, I missed I miss that detail. Yeah, no, okay. there was racism All in right. the attack, and he, he got a criminal um, conviction, and then I think this is 20 or 30 years later, he does an award at Hollywood, which doesn't... I take no notice of these awards, to tell you the truth. But um, people are saying, well, he shouldn't have done that because he did this racist attack when he's 16 to 18. I'm not going to argue whether he should or he shouldn't have. Personally, don't care what Hollywood does in these sorts of things, except to say this, that there's a big difference between how the world treats you and how Jesus treats you when you do something that's wrong, really, really wrong. What he did was really, really wrong. Right. But here he is many years later and he can't find forgiveness. Right. And that will follow him until the end of days. But when you're with Jesus and you do something really wrong, what happens? He, he forgives you, he takes your sins, 
and he puts them at the bottom of the ocean, hunty. Yes. So I'm going to take Jesus every day over Hollywood. Yes. <laughs> so, look, I, I just that's what I found interesting about that, rather than me arguing, oh, he should be allowed to do the award or he shouldn't be. Look, I'm sure he's moved on from that. I'm sure he's sorry for it. Yeah. It's one of those things you don't want to do. It was a vicious attack, but there's no forgiveness for him out there, Hunter. No, I take back what I said now. I think, yeah, that, that is tone deaf. To, to have him present the award. Oh, you've changed. I will. <laughs> I've walked it back. I, I concede. Oh, I concede that that needed to be walked back. And yeah, a bit tone deaf. To well, I'm, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not making a call on whether he should have or not. As I said, I don't really care about that side of it. What I notice is that when you make a mistake out there, it follows you for the rest of your days. Yeah, seems to. Yeah, but with Jesus, it doesn't. Yes. And I like that about the Lord Jesus. I like the way He takes us, forgives us. And together you can move on with him, even when nobody else, he will. Yep. Um, so you know what? When you see countries like South Africa, which used to, have you been there hunting? I have. Me too. Mm. Marvellous place. Yep. Amazing people. And in fact, uh, when I went to Kruger National Park, one of the great events of my life. But when you see countries like South Africa that shouldn't break down, breaking down law and order and the structures and the infrastructure, um, when you see that, when you see the threat of superbugs, and it's not just a threat for the future in 2050, it's here right now, uncontrolled superbugs. And then when you see a world that can't and won't forget or forgive, seems to me that we need to look up because Jesus is coming soon. You're listening to The Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. This song, Lead Me to the Rock by Stephen Hill. He passed away a few years ago. Another one of those singers that's not with us anymore. Oh. Hmm. This is a song talking about as you go through life, and if you want to go through it successfully with the blessings of Jesus, with peace in your heart, then you need to be able to go to the rock. And in the Bible, that term rock symbolizes Jesus. Jesus, the rock that you can build your life on. Remember that song we used to sing, Hunter, when we were little kids? In Sabbath school um, slash Sunday the, school, the wise man yes. built his house upon, upon the rock. rock yes. The wise man built his house upon Jesus. Build your life. Build your house upon Jesus.
land of the wilderness where dying ones are lost. No matter what the cost. got to be careful for those songs, aren't we? Because they sometimes have a kickback. I don't know what you call it, where they go on again. Yes. <laughs> hey, look, the time is working. Hunty's in here still struggling. New with software. New software. <laughs> yes. Never to worry. We've got a bit of grief happening in the studio today. We which do. is distracting us. There's yes. no doubt about that, Hunty. Yes. But we're doing our best. We are. Um, ever heard of the Holocaust? Of course. I mean, you and I went to the Holocaust Museum in Jerusalem. I, uh... Remember the first time, as a young guy, I confronted the Holocaust and the horror of it. I have a little bit of German ancestry yep. on my mother's side. My um, grandfather was a German, but he fought for the AIF and Australian Infantry Force up in Papua New Guinea, um, and uh, I guess you'd call him a real Aussie. But because you've got a a bit of German. I don't have a lot of German in me. I've got more English, Scottish, Irish. I found out I've got Irish in me the other day. My my mother's side, Hunty, my, they go right back to the convict days, came out here as Irish oh. convicts. That might tell you a little bit about me. Um, but the first time I confronted the Holocaust, I found it horrifying. This concept, yeah. this yeah. idea that Adolf Hitler and the Nazis of Germany during the Second World War, and it really started before, it started in 19, as early as 1933-1934. But during the Second World War especially, we were able to massacre six million Jews, men, women and children. Um, mm. It was just horrifying. And it brought up some pretty, pretty, pretty big questions. For me as a young man, when I first came in contact with the Holocaust, is how could God let it? Uh, my brother showed me. I was up in Brisbane, as I said earlier in the program, doing a funeral. And my brother um, uh, 
showed me a picture because he's had an interest in the Holocaust and studied a lot about it too. Um, of a little boy, he would have been about eight or nine years of age, standing upright, surrounded by German soldiers with his entire family, Jewish family, lying dead at his feet. Mother, father, brothers and sisters. And the look of bewilderment wow. and trauma on his face, um, just horrific. I want to play now a tape, Hunty. I want you to play it. Yep. Do you call it a tape on radio? Uh, a clip, sound clip. It's about about Anne Frank. She was a Dutch girl, a Jew, and she escaped most of the war until she was captured in 1944, hid in an attic, and she wrote some diaries. She was actually dragged off to Auschwitz and died of um, cold pneumonia. Yeah, not too long before the war ended. I just want to play this tape. Do you know how old she was when she wrote the diary of Anne Frank? 14, I think. Yeah, wow. So I just want, want you to listen to this tape. Anne Frank was a Jewish girl who became famous for the diary she wrote during the Second World War. She was born in the German city of Frankfurt in 1929. She had a sister, Margot, who was three years older. Things were going badly in Germany. Unemployment was high and many people were poor. At the same time, Adolf Hitler and his Nazi party were gaining supporters by promising to solve the country's problems. The Nazis hated the Jews and blamed them for the problems. When the Nazis came to power in 1933, hostility to the Jews increased. Anne's parents, Otto and Edith, decided to flee to the Netherlands. They settled in Amsterdam, here, on Merveideplein. Anne soon felt at home. She went to school, learned Dutch and made new friends. Six years later, war broke out across Europe. In 1939, Nazi Germany invaded Poland, and in 1940, the German army occupied the Netherlands. The Nazi occupiers made life increasingly difficult for Jews. Jews have to wear a Jewish star. Jews have to hand in their bicycles. Jews are not allowed in the tram. Jews are not allowed to ride in cars. Jews must attend Jewish schools and so on and so forth. In the summer of 1942, after Anne's sister, Margot, was ordered to report for a so-called labor camp, the Frank family went into hiding behind Otto's business on the Prinzengracht. They were joined there later by the Van Pels family and Fritz Pfeffer. The eight people in hiding were helped by loyal staff and friends of Otto's, Miep and Jan Hees, Johan Voskal and his daughter Bep, Victor Kugler and Johannes Kleiman. Meanwhile, the Nazis had tightened their grip, organizing raids and arresting and deporting Jews to so-called labor camps. In reality, these were concentration and death camps. In her diary, Anne wrote about living in the hiding place, the war, and her thoughts and feelings. I feel bad for lying in a warm bed, while my dearest friends are out there somewhere, thrown or fallen to the ground. And that only because they are Jews. An appeal from the Dutch government in London inspired Anne to rework her diary entries into a book. Before she had finished, however, their hiding place was discovered and all eight were captured on the 4th of August 1944. They were deported to the concentration and death camp Auschwitz-Birkenau. Miep Gies and Beb Voskal, two of the helpers, found the diaries Anne had left behind. Meep kept them in case Anne ever came back. 
but she didn't come back. In February 1945, Anne and Margot died of typhus in appalling conditions in the concentration camp Bergen-Belsen. Anne was 15. Of the eight people, only Anne's father, Otto, survived the war. When he read Anne's diaries after the war, they made a deep impression. He discovered how much writing had meant to her. No one who doesn't write can know how fine it is. And if I don't have the talent to write for newspapers or books, well then, I can always go on writing for myself. Otto read how Anne had hoped to publish a book, so he carried out her wish. Anne's story about life in hiding and the war is read all over the world. Her diary has been translated into more than 70 languages. The hiding place is now a museum and welcomes more than a million visitors a year. Very challenging store. You there, Hunty? Am I on? Yeah, you're on. I man. am on? Wow. Very, very challenging story. Um, of a young girl hiding from the Nazis, got caught, died in the end. And if you haven't read The Hiding Place, you'll want to read it sometime. Hey, Hunty, the reason I put that in there is um, it was a time of great trouble. And right through history, the world has been really plagued by great trouble. I don't know whether you've, you've seen, Hunty. You don't study a lot of history, do you, mate? I don't. No. Um, from Genghis Khan to all the wars that we've ever fought, World War One and especially World War Two, now in Ukraine and Russia, the world has been plagued by trouble. I mean, really, really big trouble. And you get a lot of preachers out there and you get a lot of teachers of the Bible who say, well, the world is going to get better, things will improve, it's not always going to be like this. And yet the Bible doesn't paint that story. If you go to Matthew chapter 24 and Luke chapter 21, Jesus, and I love to talk this story, sitting on the mountainside overlooking Jerusalem with his disciples 2,000 years ago, prophesies what the world is going to be like. And he talks about some of the things that we're facing today. The cyclones and the floods and the tsunamis and the wars earthquakes. and the increase in wickedness, the earthquakes, and all these are horrendous things that are occurring. But he then makes an interesting comment. And when he makes this comment, it sobers me. And the reason it sobers me is because of stories like Anna Frank, Anne Frank, mm. who went through such horrific times in World War Two with the Nazis and the Jews. Or when you read some of the stories of the persecution people went through under the Romans in Roman times, or, or as I already mentioned, Genghis Khan swept through China, wiping out literally entire nations. Did you know that, Andrew? Yes. Absolutely. Just a, a, a horrendous holocaust. Um, that for its day was as bad as the Jews ever faced. Or you go to Stalin and Russia, who killed millions and millions of his own people. And so you see these people go through, in the history of our world, terrible times, and then you come across this. Now, Daniel, two, Daniel uh, 2,600 years ago, he's the first to comment about what it would be like at the end of time. I want you to read this, yep. and I want you to listen to what Daniel says, because I'm going to show you in a minute that Jesus repeats it. Daniel okay. 12? Yeah, Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. And, and, and what does Daniel say, Hunty, about what it'll be like at the end of the world? At that time, Michael, the archangel who stands guard over your nation, will arise. 
Then there will be a time of anguish greater than any since nations first came into existence. But at that time, every one of your people whose name is written in the book will be rescued. Now, there's an interesting thing. Wow. Daniel 2,600 years ago says there's going to be a time of trouble or anguish. Same thing. Yep. Did you pick up what it said? Like the world yep. has never seen. Never seen. And then he says, following that time of trouble, Jesus will come. Yep. Jesus says a similar thing. So here's Daniel 2,600 years ago. He he prophesied this 600 years before, before Jesus, Jesus came to earth. Yep. Now, we're 600 years down in history. Now we're back to 2,000 years ago, and Jesus is on earth. And this is what he says, and I've given you a few verses before, Hunty, just so that you can get a sense of the end time uh, paradigms, context that we're in. Yep. Matthew 24, verse 15. Yep. The day is coming when you will see what Daniel the prophet spoke about. Okay, Hunty. Yes. I just wanted you to stop there. Jesus is going straight back to what Daniel said in Daniel 12. Yep. I don't want to get too mixed up with too much here. Just go straight to verse 16 and keep reading. Okay. Because what Jesus is saying is there's going to be trouble and there's going to be persecution. Yep. Yep. Go. Then those in Judea must flee to the hills. A person out on the deck of a roof must not go down into the house to pack. A person out in the field must not return even to get a coat. How terrible it will be for pregnant women and for nursing mothers in those days. And pray that your flight will not be in winter or on the Sabbath, for there will be greater anguish than at any time since the world began, and it will never be so great again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person will survive. Did you hear that? Yeah, not a single person will survive. Yeah. But it will be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Do you find that sobering when you read that? Uh, that's, now, that's, now we, we, we can unpack yeah. that. Yeah, you're going to say sorry, honey. No, no, it, it's scary. I mean, the future is just that that tells us that it's going to be horrific. There's going to be a time of trouble. The Bible doesn't exactly unpack here what it is, but it says you'll have to flee. Yep. It's, uh, and it says you're going to have to flee. When you do flee, pray it's not in winter. Why not in winter, hunty? Well, it's, it's not nice to flee in zero degrees. No, it's Sleep cold. Rain and cold. Yeah. Um, pray that you're not pregnant. Why not? It's hard to well, move fast when you're pregnant. <laughs> I'm trying to lose some weight. You want to lay down. You want to be comfortable on a couch, not running through the middle of nowhere. I'm trying to lose some weight, hunty. It's not comfortable. <laughs> <laughs> I had to run the other day to catch a train. Oh, no. No, I didn't, oh, I, I didn't like it. Oh, man, I've got to lose some weight. I'm on it. I'm on it. Hunty, but you. it's not easy. Um, after this program, I'm off to the swimming pool to do some laps. Unless you're not. Oh, I may not be. Yeah, yes. we, we may have another issue unfolding. We yet. Might. <laughs> uh, we're not going to share that though. Okay. Um, so don't don't run if you're pregnant. Don't run if you're in the winter. And that yep. last one, don't run on the Sabbath. Mm. Well, there's a Sabbath at the end of time. People say, oh, the Sabbath's been done away with. Well, Jesus saying, hey, don't run on the Sabbath. Why do you think he says that, actually, Hunty? I don't know. If there's, a, if there's an earthquake or a cyclone, I'm running, Sabbath or not. Jesus said, pray you don't have to run on the Sabbath. Why? I know. Well, I don't want to run on the Sabbath. But, but why, why did he say, pray that you I don't? I can't imagine. Well, because the Sabbath's about you and him. It's that important. 
He's saying, even though the world's crashing down around you, pray that you don't have to flee whatever yeah, okay. this trouble God. is on the Sabbath. Yeah. It's good when the light comes on I like, like that, that, isn't Thank it? Thank you. Yeah, it's lovely. I like that it's when lovely. it comes on. Yeah. He's saying, no matter how bad the things are in the world, pray you don't have to leave the time you and me spend together. I like that. Yeah. But then it says, there'll be greater anguish, verse 21, or greater trouble or trial than at any time since the world began, and it will never be again. In fact, unless that time of calamity is shortened, not a single person on the earth would survive. Mm. I wonder what it'll be, Hunty, this time of trouble. I wonder. But it'll be shortened for the sake of God's chosen ones. Mm. How do you think, if the Bible's true here and the prediction that Daniel and Jesus is making... Well, all the predictions have come true so far. So it will be true. How bad was it for the Jews in the Holocaust? Yeah. Yep. How, how bad? the trains in the middle of winter and freighted off to Auschwitz. How bad is it for the Ukrainians on yep. the borderlands running, with Russia? Running from Russians in the middle of with, winter. How bad is that? With nothing. Um, how bad would it have been to be fleeing Genghis Khan, involved yep. in the Holocaust of entire nations? Yep. And here Jesus says... It's going to be worse than at any other time in the history of the world. How do you get ready for that, Andrew? Well, for me, it's um, ensuring my relationship with Jesus is solid. And that's prayer and that's Bible study. Yeah, look, I, I kind of keep coming back to this on this radio program and even in my online ministry. If you want to escape what's coming to this earth... You need a relationship with Jesus. Yep. This is not theology, hunty. This is not about running off and joining a church or denomination or even a movement. It's not even about running off and joining New Hope, mate. That's not going to protect you. No. Nope. The only thing that's going to protect you for what's coming in this world is to have a relationship with Jesus. We don't know exactly what is coming, hunty, but you need a relationship with Jesus. Prayer. Bible, reading, yep. morning and night. Yep. Fellowship at church. Yeah. If you can find yourself a Sabbath keep in church, and it's not hard to do that, and just turn up. Take every chance you can to spend with Jesus. Because what's coming to this earth is like the world has never seen. Should it scare you? No. Should it sober you? Yep. Should it inspire you to be with Jesus? You better believe it. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. Love that. Mm. Love that Bible nice, study. And we're nice gonna Bible study. we're gonna follow it's sobering. We're gonna follow it on next week, Hunty, and do a little bit more on this. Turn your back. Turn your back on the world. Yep. Look at Jesus. Yep. Because we're about to face this. He's coming, but you need to know him. Look at Jesus. Turn your back.
troubled heart Turn your back on doubt and confusion Turn your back on your disillusion Turn your feet toward a brand new road Find a friend to share your load He's the only one who can give you a brand new start Turn your back a challenge to turn your back on the world and look at Jesus but you know with what's coming um, I, I think Jesus is the only one who can see us through and we get little snippets of what's coming aren't we? Yeah. when you look at people struggling to get a house to live in today in Australia to put food on the table this is not a time of trouble like the world has never seen but you get little snippets of it and it's on its way and we need Jesus turn your back on the world look at Jesus it's such a joy to have him amen the peace he gives in your heart as you face these troubles you know with him you're always going to be okay have we got david gilmore on the phone Sorry, i can't hear you how about now can I'm you hear us? hang up and we can try again can you hear us now buddy can you hear me yeah, can yeah hear i you? can hear you welcome to live radio <laughs> <laughs> did he hang up hunty i don't know are you there, David? Oh, he's hung up. All he's right. hung up. Oh, let's get Maybe I'll ask you the question. You ready, Andrew? Hang on. We're going to give David another go. Oh, Andrew. Hey, buddy, can you hear me? Oh, that's not good. Hello. You can't hear me, huh? All right. How well, about now? Can you hear us now? I can, yes, oh, yes. Got Glad we got you, you, mate. All right. We're ready to go, mate? Fantastic. Okay. How are you going, David? Going great. Yeah, beautiful day here in Alice Springs. I was about to say, remind us where you live. You live at Alice Springs. You've got a church out there. Um, yes, yes. Was it about 100 members or 80 members or something? I, I'm just trying to remember last week. Yeah, in, in attendance we, we'd have 100, 100 plus. So, yeah, there's members about 70, 80, but we've got a lot of visitors, a lot of children. Is there anywhere it's to a go? Thri- thriving church. Yeah, yeah, we have up to 30, around 30 kids for our children's story. Fantastic. Um, pathfinders, like, that's like scouts, you know, we go camping and with the do, girls do, do, and the do boys. You, do you, are you involved in Pathfinders? Absolutely. Yeah, I went to a big camporee recently down near the Snowy Mountains. Are you the leader or are you just one of the helpers? I'm one of the helpers. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a master guide, so I, I do teach and uh, 
Uh, um, I help with everything, so I help with adventures. So it's adven- yeah. adventures. Pathfinders is for for school age kids, more or less. Adventures is for young primaries. So two different. We're going to talk about that for our next guest a little more. But let let's go back to Alice Springs just before we get into the the heart of it. And I've got a good fifteen minutes with you today, mate. But yeah, tell yeah. us out there in Alice Springs. It's out. In the middle of the desert, is it green? I've never been there, you know that. There's a lot of places in Australia. I only went to Perth, to West Australia, for the first time in my life last year, and I've never been to Alice Springs. I want to get there. But when you go yeah. out there, is there green grass there, or is it just all desert? It, no, there's lots of uh, grass. There's, bo- there's uh, trees, especially along the rivers. There's, you know, like valleys in your ba- where you get gum your, trees. In your backyard, is there grass or is it dirt? Yeah, no grass, yeah, and it's... Um, it's been quite green for the last month or so. It's starting to dry off a bit now, but grass is, covers the hills. Um, Do you have to water that grass, or does it just stay alive naturally from rain that comes? From rain that comes. It's pretty pretty tough grass out here. Oh, okay. Um, um, what about uh, things like swimming? Are there water holes out there you can swim out, or is it...? Yes, yes. Along the uh, west and east McDonald's, there are swimming holes, permanent swimming holes. Wow. No, no crocodiles yeah. out there, I'm thinking. No, no crocodiles. There are fish, uh, but uh, no crocodiles. No, it's pretty safe. <laughs> okay, so you can do, you can get into the water, you can enjoy your life. The lifestyle's not too bad out there. No, it's good. It's good, yeah. But, but your town has troubles, and it has big troubles. We're talking about last week how a lot of the kids are on the street. We're talking about the reasons that they're, that they're out there, um, the abuse they suffer, uh, yes. the difficult home life. Um, yes. Can I ask you, do you think that what the government is doing, encouraging communities to go dry, and when yes. I say dry, that's to get rid of the alcohol. Is yeah. that the answer? I, it's not the full answer. I mean, it, it does help. Um, but really, I think the, the breakdown of family and, and of cultural family values I think is, is is contributing a lot to that, and ganja, you know, marijuana, drugs yep. have got into the communities, and this breaks down the families. That's the big problem. So, is that why culture and family is breaking? Is that breaking down because of the alcohol, the drugs? Yes, it's 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 got a lot to do with it, and it's tied in with easy money. They get money from the government, so they they. The, the, another problem is they gamble the money. They, they can gamble online now, especially if they've, they've got internet, which most communities do. Uh, so what happens is the kids are hungry. They've got no love because, uh, you know, the parents get caught up in gambling and drinking and, and, and with that goes fighting. Uh, it's just a breaking down of the, the good, strong family units that they used to have. Uh, and there were lots of missionaries out here, so they had Christian values, uh, especially the Lutherans were out here early in the peace around Alice Springs. And uh, this has been a, a gradual breakdown of of the family unit. So there's no love, there's no hope, and they've got nothing to do, so crime just comes into it very quickly. So if you get rid of alcohol and drugs out of the community, which at least the previous federal government was trying to do. Yes. And, and I think this one's probably leaning back again to trying it. Does that solve the problem? It, it helps, but really the only answer 
I've found is like what happened out at Haas Bluff. We had two families feuding. They were brothers. There was a Jugadai clan and there was a Malta clan. They had been fighting since the 1960s over land and, and who owns what. Uh, you know, a couple of kids playing cards from either side could have a bit of a fight. Next thing you've got bloodshed or, you know, mm. not killing, but, you know, fighting through the community, especially if there's alcohol. Now, Douglas is a big man there. He's, he, he deals, he's on the Central Lounge Council. He's a leader. He's been a leader for years. He became a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. Mm. And he, you know, this fighting was going on and they had a, f- a funeral recently and he, he said, he got up and he said, look, all those things you said about us, they smashed houses, they got onto Facebook and stuff and put nasty comments. He said, all of these things, we've, we're going to forget that. We forgive you. And you know what? The Jugadais had left the, the, the community mm. over the fighting. They yep. were scared. Yep. Because the fighting was pretty, pretty savage. Yeah. But after that, they embraced and they, they're all back together again. And this is the power of the gospel, you so, know, of Jesus so, Christ. So let me. That s- is the answer. And perhaps if the government would support that idea, I think they, they'd do a lot better. And yet, I read in social media and I see it, well, I see it in social media mostly, but I see it also in the media itself. Yes. A pretty negative view of taking Christianity to our Indigenous, to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait people of Australia. In fact, Christianity is often aligned with white men, the oppression. And and look, it would be fair to say that when the missionaries came, not everything that happened was good. Would that be a fair comment or or am I being... Or or is that a a narrative that the media has spun? I, I think out here it was pretty good, but yeah, there. Are, look, I work with a couple of Lutheran pastors that are Aboriginal. Yep. And they complain a bit of how the others are all got new cars and they haven't. Yep. Um, and, and that sort of thing. It, it's not probably uh, a perfect setup. Whereas I, I get on well with these guys because I just go in. I, I'm welcome in their churches, and uh, I just get on really well with them. Yeah. Um, so it, it, I think it depends. There, there is some. It's, it hasn't been perfect, but I tell you what, it helped them have family values. It, it it sort of teaches them not to get involved with alcohol and drugs and these sort of things. So I think when you look at it, it's not uh, Christianity is not a cultural thing. It's inter uh, inter you know every nation has Christianity, and it's always better. Yeah. If they do. So probably, and people say you're biased because you're a pastor, but you're saying Christianity is a great advantage to those in our Indigenous culture who take it up. It's the only thing I've seen that works. I've seen what the government's done. Yep. And they're building new houses here like they're going out of fashion. You know, they're just knocking down old houses, beautiful houses, air conditioning. Yep. Lovely. Um but that's not solving any problems. Um, so they're trying to yeah, solve problems. It helps them get a house, but that, that that doesn't mean to say the people in the house are happy. Okay. Because um, Jesus, the media will often equate Jesus with white culture, European culture. It's not exactly true. Jesus was a Middle Eastern man. Um, well, yes. he's God himself. 
we as Christians believe that he created the human race. He yes. created all our Aboriginal Torres Strait Islander brothers and sisters. He created yes. them. We've got the media saying always, oh, Christianity's bad, Jesus is not good, keep it out, it's just white man. It's not. This is Jesus, no, the creator, yeah. coming for his people. They are his right. people. And the Bible even talks about an Ethiopian getting baptised. Now he's as black as the ace of spades, you know. Yeah. It's, it's, the Bible is, talks about the gospel going to every nation, kindred, tongue and people, or every mm. family group, every language group, and that includes Aboriginals. And I tell you what, they, most of them love Christianity. They, yeah. they embrace it. Uh, they love it in their communities because they're seeing that it makes a big difference. And there's at Haas Bluff is a big example of it. And uh, well, I've seen the, the thing all is, sorts David, of, of the, things being tried, but that's what works. The 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 world doesn't recognise the power of Jesus to change lives. That's, they don't rec- they don't recognise it. They'll see it. But it's almost like they're blinded to the reality that when Jesus goes into these communities, he turns them upside down, cleans them out, and changes everything. He does. And it's amazing. And it's, it's, it's beautiful. Have you, have you got a story you can tell us? Yes. We, you know, there was a, a man out here. He was nine years old, and uh, he, he heard the voice, go west and I'll show you what you need to know. Hmm. Well, unfortunately, he had a hard life. He was... His, his dad used barbed wire to, to, to punish him, you know, not a strap, you know. So he, mm. he had a pretty tough, his mother was blind. He got into drinking, he got into petrol sniffing, all this sort of stuff. Uh, and he he didn't, when he got older, he became a Christian. He did go west to Horse Creek, which is up north of Western Australia. Became a Christian and he became a Pentecostal Christian. He didn't speak in tongues, but he, he believed the Bible mm-hmm. and he, he became a, a pastor. He, he built a church. He was a good stockman. He was travelling around doing some missionary work, and he heard, got this dream. He met this fellow by the name of Saturday, and Saturday was an old old timer there, old stockman. And in his dream, Saturday said, "If you follow me, um, you'll be able to come to heaven." And he was seeing, he was wondering what on earth that was all about. And later on, he met a lady in Perth. It was who kept Saturday as as a Sabbath day, a day of worship, mm. and um, his his first wife passed away, and he he sort of thought, well, you know, he, he was looking for it for somebody, and he asked her to marry, mm. and uh, she said, well, look, I only, um, you know, well, I can't marry anyone unless we're of the same belief, and he said, well, what, you know, and, and I, I worship on Saturday, and that, and it just clicked with him the mm. two things. The voice when he was young, go west and you'll find what you need to know. And then that dream, and he he worked out that the Sabbath is what he should be keeping mm. according to his belief and what the Bible says. He became an Adventist, came out here. Now the whole community is opened up right across 1,000 people, about four or five different communities, and people are getting baptised, and the communities are a lot better before it. Because of it, they're stopping the drinking, the drugs, they're getting away from this sort of thing. It's been a powerful impact on the community out here into the West. So what about the future? I mean, you've got trouble there in Alice Spring now, Springs now. Is there anything that you as a local church can do? 
Well, we are giving out clothes. We're yeah. giving out bread. And, you know, to get a young person, I get young kids that, you know, the ones that are causing, the age bracket that are causing trouble in town mm-hmm. are coming to my door and they're my friends. Mm-hmm. They're asking, can we have some bread? I said, yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Come and get some bread. Help yourself. Mm-hmm. Now, they're looking on me as a friend, not as an enemy. Yeah. Because I'm helping them where they've got needs. And I think if we can do that... Um, it's going to have a big impact. And then, you know, some of them are coming to church, some of them are going to Bible college, changing their lives, mm. changing their families. And this is having an impact. So we're trying to do more of that. We want to get into medical help as well to help them with their diabetes and their diet and things that, that are uh, bringing them to an early grave and, and giving them dialysis and things that yeah. are not, not so good, you know. Is it? Do you think the church will make a difference out there or do you think it's like a needle in a haystack? It already is having a huge impact. We, You know, one community, we've got one out of every five that are now baptised Seventh-day Adventists because When we say baptised Seventh-day Adventists, just for those of you who don't know, basically baptised Christian. That's what that is. Yeah, it's a Christian. It's a Christian. You know, they believe in the gospel, Jesus Christ is coming back for us. They're they're basically Christian as the same as... Uh, so, we have other good Christian groups out here too. So, do you, but, um, so you do reckon good. Christianity, Adventism, the, the the church we belong to, is making a difference and will make a difference as we face this fairly large crisis out there? Well, it's huge. And our church is, is one of the, I'd say it's the fastest growing church here at this, mm. at this stage. Mm. Uh, and that's, that's, that's a big impact they're having. On a radius of uh, well over a thousand k's in each direction. Is it recognised by the government that the church is making a difference out there? Do they recognise it? Do they see it? Do they know it? Well, I was asked to pray this morning for the mayor and the councillors, and um, they're helping us to set up a a Christian radio station here. They Mm. can see the impact we're having. They know I'm involved with Second Bite, picking up bread every day and, and food for the community. So we have a big impact on. You know, Coles and Woolworths are helping us. I'm, we're known right through the town as mm. being a positive influence because of we're following the gospel, yeah. uh, you know, what Jesus told yeah. us to do. I was hungry, thirsty, naked, in prison, mm. in hospital. That's the work we like to do. So, Matthew 25, I think that is. That's um, it. Yep. So, in, in conclusion, um, it is making, Jesus does make a difference. You're doing your best to get him to as many people out. Um, Can we can we come back to you in about a month or so and see how you're going? Yes, please. Absolutely, yeah, love it. I'd love to do that. Well, thanks for joining us today, David. Very interesting discussion, and we look forward to seeing you in a month. Thanks, Lord. You take care, and God bless, and and, uh, blessings to all those that are listening to. See you, mate. Thank you. Bye now. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. I love living with Jesus. I think that's what he was saying. If if you're living with Jesus, life is going to be better. That's right. And I love the I love listening to stories, and I've seen it with my own eyes, of the power of Jesus in our indigenous communities. Hunty. Yes. When I was out in the Solomon Islands, you could tell the villages that had Jesus yes. in them. You so could. And and those that, that were still in clean in in paganism. Tidy. I, I, look, I'm I'm I've got to be careful, but I'm pretty. Uh, 
strident about the difference Jesus makes in yeah, these people. You, you go into their in, into into a Christian village, it, it's safe, it's developed. Mostly no pigs as well. Yeah, <laughs> you don't like pigs, hunting. Well, no, it's just that they tend to you know make a mess. Make a mess. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, so God bless them out there in Alice Springs. Yep. Uh, this song, I Love Living With Jesus, what it's all about. And this yep. is from Sam and May Peaky, two good friends of ours, Indeed. and I love it.
I love living with Jesus and I hope and pray that Jesus gets into our indigenous communities more, more powerfully. I don't really care what the media says about stuff like that. Mm. Don't even really care that social media is so aggro about it. They don't know what they're talking about. And uh, having Jesus in those communities is only going to make it better for sure for everybody. And as I say, I, I'm not just listening to what our mate David Gilmore says on the front line, actually, Hunty, on mm. the front line mm. out there in uh, Alice Springs. I've seen it for myself yep. over the last 32 years. And it's not just Indigenous communities that Jesus makes a difference in. I'm from a, Hunty, I'm from a working class background, mate. We're blue collar. Yep. We suffer from, the communities I come from suffer from many of the same problems as our Indigenous drugs. Yep. Um, alcohol. alcohol, abuse of all sorts. Adultery, fornication. This, this is not a, just an indigenous problem. It, it's it's a human problem. It's just we probably see it more starkly at the moment. Uh, have we got our our old mate Simon on board yet? I'm here. I'm okay. Simon, he's our youth pastor here in Sydney. Uh, just remind us how many churches and how many youth do you look after in this great fair city of ours? Yeah, fantastic. So in Greater Sydney, um, Seventh-day Adventist Church has about 101 groups. So I think we've got something like 101 groups around the city that meet. And we're nearly like Maccas. We're nearly on every corner. We just don't <laughs> speak much, that's all. Um, and I would say there'd have to be uh, maybe out of our membership of 9,500, probably a couple thousand young people in there. I reckon there's more. And, and you're probably right. I reckon. I reckon in our membership, not well. Our membership's nine thousand, but there'd be more, a lot more, if you count kids and youth who have yet to make a stand for Jesus and become baptized. Um, and when you're baptized into Adventism, membership comes along with it. And not that they're necessarily tied, but it does. Um, I reckon you've got three thousand or more. That's my guess. Yeah. I reckon a third are under twenty-five. Who go Definitely. to church? There you go. Definitely lots of them. Yeah, there are. So you've got a big job. Um, and you basically run big youth programs, youth rallies, all that. Is that right? Is that what you do mostly? Or training youth leaders or visiting, preaching? What, what's your, what would you say is the main focus of your job? Mm, I think it's a bit of a mix. So um, we like to try and support what's happening in the local churches. So we do train a lot of leaders, whether that be in adventure and ministry or pathfinders or youth or whatever we've got going. And then um, that would include just um, sometimes I'll go out to churches and preach and do a little bit of training and other times we'll run big gatherings where we bring the young people together for the weekend. So it's a little bit of a dynamic job in some ways where one week you'll be doing something and the next week you'll be doing something very different. Do you like uh, it? Always on the ground, always got something going on. Do you like it? Do you enjoy it? I do enjoy it. It's It's a great job. You know, I, I'm, I'm discovering things all the time. Our church has, and, and, and Hunty's a witness to this, our youth group's exploding, mate. Absolutely is. I was telling uh, Pastor Simon this morning when we were having a chat. We can have anywhere between 30 and 50 youth. Yep. And we used to have four or five. You know one of the things we do, Simon, and I'm pretty jealous on this one, we just hand the entire youth, uh, the, the, entire the church, the, the program. church yeah. program over to the youth, and they do it. And it's they a, preach, they organise the the, the the scriptures and the, the music, mm. and they take over the entire the entire day. Mm. Still, and, 
Yes. Yeah, sorry, mate. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they would very much enjoy doing that, and and that gives them a great sense of we belong here. So I, I don't think that's all about it. What has driven it, though, you know, Lunch. I've been around long enough to know that youth actually produce youth, um, and there's a truth in that. Hey, how's your little son doing? Um, little girl. Little, little girl, girl, sorry. <laughs> I'm allowed to get mixed up. There's babies being born everywhere in my world at the moment. Yeah, no problems at all. Um, but she's going great. Little Vienna. How old um, is she now? She'll be nine and a half months, I think, now. Does she sleep through at night? Oh, she sleeps through night fine. Um, it's just getting her to sleep, that's the problem. Uh, but, so you, you don't know, you don't lie down and let her lie next to you and go to sleep? It's, it's sort of... Uh, it's sort of not that. It's not that quick. Like we we'll try to get her to sleep, and then you're still trying to get her to sleep half an hour later, and then you're still trying to sleep another half an hour later, and then once she's out, though, she's out. So that's good. <laughs> um, does she have her own little bedroom, or does she sleep in your room, or how does that work? She sleeps in a little cot next to our bed. I threw our kids out, mate. <laughs> <laughs> they got two, three weeks at home in my bedroom, and they were out. Okay. <laughs> and it's not that I didn't do my share at night because I actually did, but they were out, man. No way, Jose. I'll get into trouble from a lot of people for that. Hey, one of the areas of your ministry is 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 a ministry. Well, it's 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 a I don't know what you'd call it, but it's a, it's a group of young people called Pathfinders. What is mm. Pathfinders? Yeah, Pathfinders is an awesome ministry that we run. It's it's for ten to fifteen year olds, and okay. essentially um, we bring them together, or a local church would bring them together um, on a Saturday afternoon, usually at a hall meeting, and they they learn a lot about life, a lot of different life skills, but at yep. the same time they um, learn how to connect with Jesus as well. It's a very and – it, and it's done in a really fun and engaging way. So it's a great it's a great ministry. Like I would say, if you've got a 10 to 15-year-old, yep. I would say pathfinders any day. Is it, is it like Scouts? Because when you're talking like that, I'm thinking Scouts. Is it like Scouts? In some ways, it is very similar to Scouts. You know, like Scouts wear a uniform and Pathfinders, we wear a uniform. Scouts learn a lot of life skills. and They do camping and all that sort of stuff, and um, we do that as well. Um, some people wouldn't know this, but, you know, once upon a time, um, you know, the Scouts would actually talk to our church about, you know, oh, hey, what about we, we kind of partner up? And, um, you know, so there are some similarities there, but at the end of the day, the the area that is different is there's a real focus on introducing young people to Jesus through this ministry and so we 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 do that. Can can anyone join Pathfinders? Like is it for the community or is it just for Christian kids? No, definitely for the community and um I mean no doubt Pathfinders has a good number of Christian kids in it because usually it runs out of a local church. Yep. Um but there's no doubt that um, non-Christian kids are more than welcome, as people are welcome at our churches, you know. So it's just another ministry of our church that folks are welcome to join, yep. and um, and they do. Were you a people pathfinder? Are, was I a pathfinder? Yeah. When I was younger? Well, yeah. to be honest, not really, because I didn't go to church enough. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I was never a pathfinder either. I did go to yeah. church, but I was never a pathfinder. My dad was the pathfinder leader of conferences all around Australia and New Zealand. I didn't go. I don't know why I didn't go, mate. I just didn't go. Should have. I missed out on some good times, I I think. Um, you kind of touched on it. Things pathfinders do. So in a meeting, what, 
uh, you say they learn stuff. Um, uh, you say life skills. What do you mean by that? And I know you have these things called honours. What are they? Yeah, great question. So just imagine your um, young person rocks up to Pathfinders one day. Basically what would happen is they rock in. The club usually starts out by having a worship so everyone comes together. They sing some songs and someone might give a small talk. Yep. Um, you know, um, from the Bible and that sort of stuff. And then after that, they'll usually do some sort of activity. So an honour, um, you might do an honour on knots and lashing. And so that would be learning how to tie knots and how to tie stuff together. That would be a good one for you, Hunty. <laughs> oh, you yeah. straps, mate. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> on the weekend, I went with a Pathfinder club. They did an honour on abseiling. So they went and learned how to do abseiling. And the thing about these honours... With abseiling, do do they have ropes that'll take 300 kilos? (laughs) Just asking for a friend. (laughs) Well, you know, um, I'll make no comment. Keep going. Sorry, I shouldn't have interrupted you. (laughs) You're back to the survival skills, Lloyd. But, yeah, if you went and Googled Pathfinder honours, you'll find, like, there is literally hundreds of them. Thousands. all sorts of life skills that that kids would learn. Does it if if some parents decided to send their kids to Pathfinders, and it is a community, it, it is based out of the local church, but it's a community based program for everybody and anyone. Does it cost yeah. money? Most churches put a small fee per year. Um, like what are you talking about? Oh, like my guess would be like fifty, seventy five dollars, something like that. I'll make a guarantee right here. If you come from a family that can't afford that. That local church will work that out with you for sure, and that's the thing. And, and if they don't, the ring Simon up and he'll sort it out. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, look, honestly, most churches—it's um, just something to cover the resources and stuff like that. Well, it doesn't I, cover I it, do does it? Do. Doesn't even go close to covering it, really, does it? That's true. It doesn't even go close to covering it. No, no churches that'll just put people in for free and. Mm just to help them out and get them through it. And, and so... Well, uh, I, I know in my church, our little church, Simon, we invest thousands of dollars in Pathfinders every year. There you go. Yeah. And it's a joy, eh? Um, what's a camporee? So a camporee is um, basically a huge Pathfinder gathering. So uh, we've had two camperees in the last year. We had one here in Greater Sydney. So every Pathfinder club from Greater Sydney came together for about five days. We camped together. We had all sorts of wonderful and wild activities. That, how how uh, many were there? Sorry? How many were there again? 720 at our local one in Greater Sydney. Yep. And then we ran, um, later in the year, we ran an Australia-wide Pathfinder camperee. And how many were that? 3,200 people came out for that one. And then next year, there's a, there's a worldwide one in America somewhere. Is that right? Actually, correct. Next year, there's a worldwide Pathfinder Camper in America, and it will have about 50,000 people present. Um, and in saying that, it's actually, that's actually not the biggest Pathfinder Camper in the world. The ones right. in South America are bigger again. How many would they have? Do you know? I've heard up to 80, 80 to 100,000 at those gatherings that they have. That's you- what I've are you going to go to that one in America? Um, the one in America, I'm planning to go and check it out. I've never been before. Mm. So is our church, actually. There our, you go. Yeah, club. I'm, I'm hoping you guys from the conference will 
run a <laughs> run a uh, combined Greater Sydney Pathfinder trip to America. How's that sound, Simon? Well, look, it's on the cards, but I can't promise yet. I've got to work some stuff out. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to come back in three weeks and look for a promise there, eh, Hunty? Hey, yeah, that's it. Hey, just quickly, because we've only got three minutes left, and I want to get some st- more um, answers out here on some stuff. Um, at those well, camperees, what, at night they have a big meeting? Is that right? Correct. At a certain night they have, like, a big worship meeting, something similar to church. Usually they sing songs, they have a someone who will present a message. Big drama. Um, they often do a drama, like a big play. Yep. Yeah, it's just a really... The kids enjoy that? Oh, the kids love it. They absolutely love it. And what do they do during the day? So you've got 3,000 kids at this last one. What do you do during the day? Yeah, well, well um, the last one, well, the, the crowd itself, the kids itself would have been more like 1,800 kids. But then you've got parents and staff and everything that come along and help out. Yep. Um, but during the day, they do activities. Yep. So in the morning, you do a certain activity. In the afternoon, you'll do a different one. And at the last campery, they did six all together. So every day, there was like a bit of a rotation where you do an activity. And these are big adventure activities, sliding through mud, in water, climbing over ropes. Is that right? All sorts of things all kids love. Stuff. One of them, they actually set up. They they set up like like basically like a video game, but you got to play it in real life. It was very well thought out. Yep. And they did it so crafty that they had a good spiritual message in it. Um, so you know, it, the kids actually really loved that one because it was like their video games to life. They go. Um, to, how long do these camperies go for? They usually go for. Five, five or six days. Are the kids running out of clothes as they get dirty and mud and water and all that sort of stuff? Well, they certainly run out of energy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think you might be running out of energy who run it too. Yeah, we do. We do. I don't think we've got any more in us than that. That's enough. It's like, right. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, you, you come out of Pathfinders. I'm going to get you back and talk about this next thing. And you ran some summer camps. I want to talk to you about that in the, the yeah, next yes, month or yeah. so. But you, you must be exhausted now after the Christmas you've had. Well, yeah, I was, I'm a little bit, I'm a little bit tired, but you know, um, these sorts of things that energize you in a certain way as well because you get to see lives changed. Yeah. And I yeah. think it's very, for the kids that go. It's a young man's gig leading this sort of stuff. Hey, um, last question. If I'm in the community and I wanted my kids to join Pathfinders, what do I do? Yep. So there's a couple options. The first option would be um, call up the local Seven Day Adventist Church in your region. Most churches in your most churches in your region would have a website or something like that. So like New Hope Church and stuff. Yep. Um, and you know, like let's say for example, if a if a local if a person living around Quakers Hill or one of that contacted New Hope Church, well, they'll get a hold of you guys and you'd be able to direct them straight to yep. where Pathfinder is. And if that fails, call us up at the Greater Sydney Conference Office. Um, 02-98-68-6522. How's that, Simon? Fantastic, mate. You know that number better than I do, and I've, I've worked there. Been here for um, 22 years, mate. <laughs> We're out of time, Simon. <laughs> I'd love to talk to you more. Can, can I get you on in, in, in a little, you know, a few more weeks? I want to talk about summer camps. Will yeah, that be all right? We'll be back. All good. We love you, mate. God bless you. Thanks, bud. Thank you very much for your time. Yeah. Bye bye. You're listening to the Aussie Pastor here on Faith FM. 
Mm. Well, you you were a Pathfinder, weren't you, Hunty? Yeah, I, and I went straight back into leadership after I graduated as a Pathfinder. Have you been an actual Pathfinder director of, a whole, of a whole club? Of a whole club, the, the Wurundjeri Club. You were the director, not an associate, not an assistant, oh, not a there was helper. a whole bunch of us that said, hey, let's put back in and we'll all get together. But and we'll who, run have this. you been the boss of the whole thing? I'm putting him on the line here. Well, there's a bunch of us that said we're going to run this together, so we did. So there was no boss? Not for about six months, no. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. All right. I've been a conference Pathfinder leader. Nice. That means for North New Zealand, I was the Pathfinder leader for the entire island and knew very little about it, but had a really hot Pathfinder leadership team behind me and they knew everything. So I'd chair the meetings and they'd sort it all out for me, auntie. (laughs) Yeah, perfect. Good song, this one from Ray Boltz. Thank you. It's talking about how thankful he is for people in his life like Pathfinder leaders and directors who showed him Jesus. young man and he was smiling as he came and he said friend you may not know me now and he said but wait you used to teach my Sunday school and I was only eight and every week you would say a prayer before the class would start one day when you said that prayer, I asked Jesus in my heart. Thank you for giving to the Lord. I am a light that was changed. Another man stood before you He said, remember the time A missionary came to your church His pictures made you cry You didn't have much money But you gave it anyway Jesus took the gift you gave And that's why I'm in heaven Thank you for giving to the Lord I am a light that was shed One by one they came 
far as your eyes could see Each life somehow touched By your generosity Little things that you had done Sacrifices you made That were unnoticed on this earth In heaven now proclaim I know up in heaven You're not supposed to cry I'm almost sure There were tears in your eyes As Jesus took your hand And you stood before the Lord He said, my child, look around you Great is your That was changed Thank you For giving to the Lord I am so glad you gave Thank you For giving to the people responsible for all of us when we get to heaven to live with Jesus. It's not a one-off thing. I've been watching people come to Jesus for 32 years and there's always a lot of different people involved in bringing someone to the Lord. And that song's a beautiful song about how when you come to the Lord and you look back on your life, you can see a whole lot of people. One of these guys I buried, this guy I buried, uh, well, I didn't bury him. I had a part to do with the cemetery, uh, the funeral. I did the cemetery part. Um, Cliff Fur, he he's one of those guys I can look back on and say, yep, he uh, had a significant part to do with my own development. Okay, Hunty, ask the Aussie ask pastor. Ask the Aussie pastor, yes. If you want to send a question in. Well, it's too late for today, but we'd still love to hear from you because there's always next week. You can uh, email the questions to us, theaussiepastor at gmail.com, or you can text them to us on 0488 880851. Now, my first question is from one of our long-time listeners, Rachel, and she would like to know, Lloyd, mm-hmm. do we have to wait for absolutely everything in the book of Revelation to be fulfilled before Jesus' return? Or is it possible that Jesus will just come real soon? Thank you. problem with that is we don't understand the book of Revelation completely and totally and intimately anyway. Right. Uh, my view is when it comes to waiting for Jesus to return, be ready today. 
give your heart to Jesus right now and look up and wait expectantly. So no, don't don't look for prophecies. I mean, yes, look for the prophecies to be fulfilled, but don't hold Jesus coming to what you think is the fulfillment of those prophecies. Does that yeah, exactly. make sense, hunting? Exactly. In other words, well, I, I, I think that's a bit awkward the way I was putting that. Um, be ready right now for Jesus to come because he may. If yep. Jesus came in the clouds of heaven, there's people take exception to this comment when I make it, yep. but there would be he would have no one to make any excuse to. In fact, when Jesus comes, I think there are a lot of people who call themselves Christians who are going to be pretty surprised because they haven't been in a born-again relationship with him. They haven't had the Holy Spirit, so they're not expecting. Um, mm. And so, yeah, study the prophecies, try to understand the prophecies, take the prophecies seriously, seriously, look for the fulfillment of the prophecies, but because of the nature of them, the fact that Revelation is an unfolding book, I would, man, be ready for Jesus right now. Indeed. I mean, you might be on your way home and bang. Yep. You go to sleep. Yep. Next thing you will see is Jesus. That's right. Mm. All righty. Uh, this next question is from Carl. He was listening to you on the weekend talking about soul sleep. Okay. That, that's just when you die, you sleep until Jesus comes and then there's resurrection. First Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18. First Corinthians 15, 51 to 54. Revelation 6, 14 to 7. There's a whole heap. Matthew 24, 30, 31. There's a whole heap of Bible verses talk about it. Yep. But the question is... Um, you used an example of Lazarus being dead for three days. Sure. He would have been asleep for three days and yep. therefore did not go to heaven. That's right. Then come back, as this would have been a disappointment to have that's what I said. been in heaven yep, yep. and then have had to come back. Yep, that's right. All right. So the question is, for I am in a straight betwixt okay, two. Okay, I think what he's doing here is he's quoting some Bible texts at me, Hunty. Absolutely. This is and he's, uh, he's, he's, he's using the King James Version by the sound of what yeah, you're saying. Betwixt, I don't even know. Yeah, it, it means... I'm between. Okay, cool. Maybe use that word, for I'm between. Okay. For I'm in a strait between two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Nevertheless, to abide in the flesh is more needful for you. So he says, I don't know what to do. I want to depart and be with Jesus, yep. but I know I really need, this is Paul the Apostle, he says, I really need to stay here at the moment and be with you. Look, it's as simple as this. When you die, it's within the blink of an eye that you see Jesus coming. Yes. Now, you might wait a 1,000, 2,000 years for Jesus to come, but for you who's died, it's the blink of an eye. Yes. And Paul says, oh, I would like to die. I've really run my race. I'm worn out. I want to sleep. He's the one who said when we go to sleep that we sleep until Jesus comes. First Thessalonians 4, 16, 18. He's not going to go back. And what he said for the, you know, um, what's First Thessalonians 4, 16 to 18 say? Uh, for the... Uh, Dead know nothing? No, 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 no. no. That's Ecclesiastes Sorry. 9, 5, 6 and 10. I'm just having a bit of a brain break because I've got another problem unfolding <laughs> offline here, hunting. <laughs> yeah, it's, no right. it's hurting my head, mate, because <laughs> um, I know this... Uh, passage really well off, but when your head's full, yes. your head's full, mate. Uh, for the Lord himself will descend with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet call of Christ, and the dead in Christ, this is Paul, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive shall join them, and thus we'll be with the Lord forever. So nice. the dead in Christ, as Paul said, the dead in Christ will be resurrected. Yes. So yeah, no, he's just saying, look, I'm going to sleep, yep. and when I sleep, 
I'll wake up, and for me, it'll be like an instant, even if be for Paul so far has been waiting two thousand years. Go, mate. All right, it's time for you to feel a bit of heat, like an ant under a magnifying glass under the sun here. Yep. He's throwing a big text at you. Yeah. It's um. Jesus said to the thief, "This is the guy who was put death on the cross with him." Um, Jesus said to the thief that he would be with Christ, not when Jesus came into his kingdom, but at the moment they died on the no, cross, he, he would be with Christ. <laughs> no, he says, today I will be with you in heaven. Yeah, no, it's not how it works. How does it work? Jesus said to the thief, I promise you today, comma, you will be in paradise. Jesus died. He was in the tomb. He never went back to heaven. So that's a punctuation. After he died, it's just a punctuation. Oh, that's easy. It's just the English. It's, it, it's, it's the Greek to the – there are no punctuation. And, and they've just decided to put, you know, in that Bible, what they've done is they've said, and Jesus promised him, today you'll be in paradise. Or Jesus promised him, today you will be in paradise. Do All you, right. Can you get I it? got that easy. That's easy. Yeah. All right. And he's, he's taken a couple more at you. So – but we do not want you to be uninformed. This is Thessalonians 4, verses 13. Yep. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Okay. That's easy. Jesus comes, yep. resurrects them, yep. and brings them back with him. Okay. <laughs> well, that's good. <laughs> do you see that? Oh, he's got one more. He's not. How, how can he bring them from heaven... When he's going down, Paul says in that very same passage, the resurrection yep. of the dead. Oh, I like that. Yeah, okay, go. All right. Um, one more text, Corinthians 5, 2 Corinthians 5, verse 6 and 8. Therefore, we are always confident, knowing that whilst we are at home in the body, we are absent from the Lord. Yeah. For we walk by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and willing rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. Same thing. He's just saying, look, at the moment I'm in the body, but I want to go. I want to sleep. I want to go and be with the Lord. Because when I sleep, I'm resurrected. Right. For me, it's like instantly. All right. Paul gets that. Paul understands that. That's the very root and um, stock of who he was. He knew there, that we would sleep. He knew there'd be resurrection. It's Paul that teaches and preaches that truth to the Christian church more clearly than anybody else. Yep. Okay. Thank you, Carl. They were some good, some good and questions. And if we haven't and answered, come back at us. Yeah, and come I'll back spend, at us for I'll sure. spend some more time on that for you. All right. Um, oh, that's a part two of his question. How is it that most of Christianity has done away with Saturday Sabbath? Is that part two to his question? Well, I'd say it's just it's here underneath the question on Soul yeah, Sleep. No, I don't. I think, you, I think that's from someone else, brother. Not, not our friend. Well, let me check the SMSs. Yeah. Uh, it's not what, a good question. What, Why what? are we the only ones keeping Sabbath? No, we're not. There's lots and lots of... Christian churches around the world, they are in a, a, a majority. Look, the bottom line is that after Jesus... Oh, look, let's do a Bible study on this, That's honey. a good idea. But the bottom line is that after Jesus um, set up the church, very quickly Saturday was replaced by Sunday and pretty much been taken on by most of the church ever since. So, uh, that's worth a Bible study, that's the Bible study into yeah. history. Yeah. All right, uh, moving on, next question. Uh, what is your view of the Sydney Mardi Gras? Oh, look, I take the Bible view on marriage. Uh, between one man and one woman uh, only. That's what the Bible says and that's what I believe. But we live in a free country. People can express themselves, even if I don't agree how they express themselves, if I don't agree with their lifestyle or not, whether I'm for it or not. Uh, this is a free country. Um, pretty much that's my view. Uh, so I'll stand by the biblical narrative on marriage. I don't go along with what they're getting caught up with there, but they have a right 
to do it. How's that, Auntie? Okay, and there's a because part. we're because we're a free country. There's a part B to that question. Um, does the Christian Church have a united and consistent view on homosexuality? Oh, not really. The Bible does. The Bible is consistent right the way through on its view of LGBTI. Uh, but the Christian Church, like it does on a lot of Bible doctrines, dithers a bit, and there are differences of opinion and views, and that's because they don't go back to the Bible. Why are there many so many churches not celebrating Sabbath? Because they're not in the Bible. Why do we dither, dither on this? Because a lot of people just aren't on the Bible. They do what they think and what they feel. Hmm. Mm. All right. Does well, that make sense? Yeah, it does. That, that's time up. Ah, um, okay. Time that's, for your last song. That was pretty. That's pretty fast, Hunty. It was. <laughs> <laughs> we ripped through that. We did some pretty big questions there too that could take some more time. Uh, this last song, "Ancient Words." This is why we're struggling, Hunty. Yep. Because the church, I'll say this openly, doesn't spend enough time looking at what the Bible says. We're getting to a place in modern Christianity where it's what I would say rather than what the Bible says. And what matters is what the Bible says. So if you want to know what God wants, go to the Bible. This song's all about it.
Bible's going to be a very important part, Hunty, mm-hmm. of being able to walk through these end times as this world collapses into chaos and anarchy. You will need those ancient words because in the Bible, I know the world's not saying this. I get that. But I'm telling you that in the Bible, you're going to meet Jesus. You open the Bible, you start to read, you will meet Jesus. And when you meet Jesus, you know what? You're going to be okay. For what's going ahead, what's coming for us. True. Read, study your Bible. Mm. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for being with us in this program today. May your name be advanced and may people see you for all your beauty and the love that you offer us. And I pray, Lord, that they'll come out of this program with a hunger for the Bible to know you, the only true God who can take us through what is about to go down in this world. Thank you for hearing. This prayer and for being with us again today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. My name's Lloyd Grolleman. I'm the Aussie pastor. And my name's Hunty, and I'm the man in black. And we love you. We do. But you know what? Jesus loves you so much more. See you next time. Thanks for joining the Aussie pastor. If you enjoyed today's program and would like to find out more about Jesus, our ministry, or ways to support us, go to findjesus.tv. 